Hello, everyone, and welcome to HR Works COVID-19 update. We really appreciate you taking time out of your busy day to join us. I am the host of HR Works, Jim Davis, and the editor of the HR Daily Advisor. In September, the DOL released a notice of proposed rulemaking regarding rules for employers to follow when classifying a worker as an independent contractor or an employee under the Fair Labor Standards Act. But we want to unpack what these proposed rules would mean for employers. And we have with us today Jacob M. Monty, managing partner and founder of Monty Ramirez LLP, to discuss this important topic. For over two decades, Jake Monty has successfully practiced at the intersection of immigration, labor, and employment laws. A nationally recognized authority on issues facing employers with large Hispanic workforces, Jake has written not one but three books on the topic and speaks regularly in English and Spanish on navigating labor and employment matters in industries with heightened immigration scrutiny. His clients include professional baseball teams, grocery store chains, single establishment and chain restaurants, and leading companies in the construction and facility maintenance fields. Jake has been interviewed by major media outlets such as Fox News, CNN, and MSNBC, regarding national immigration concerns. Jake founded Monty and Ramirez LLP to offer an integrated approach to dealing with Hispanic workforces. He and his bilingual partners address all the critical aspects of employer advocacy from immigration to union matters, workplace safety, and employment disputes. Jake, thanks so much for joining us again today. Happy to be here, Jim. Absolutely. We're happy to have you. Uh, first of all, let's just go over what are the proposed rules? Well, Last month, the Secretary of Labor announced that he wanted to promulgate a new rule, and he actually did promulgate uh, a new rule defining, at least for Department of Labor and FLSA purposes, what an employee is versus an independent contractor. And this is something that we've had these definitions, and they've been around really since the late 1930s, and they really haven't been updated to take into account the modern economy. So I do commend the secretary for for trying to streamline, at least for fair labor standards point of view, what uh, an actual employee is versus an employee. You know, IRS has an entirely different test and uh, the National Labor Relations Act, of course, has a different test. But today we're, we're just talking about this proposed rule as it affects the Fair Labor Standards Act. Uh, it, it attempts to eliminate the, the longer test that had been around from case law and basically come up with an economic reality test that would contest, consist of two core factors. One the nature and degree of the worker's control over the work, and two, the worker's opportunity for profit or loss based on his or her initiative. That sounds simple. Uh, It's intended that if, if those two factors are dispositive, then you would not need to look any further. But they say if they're not, the proposed rule says if they're not determinative, then you would look at three additional guidepost factors. So, you know, again, as I said, I commend uh, the secretary for for trying to streamline this issue. This is a big deal for employers because there's a lot of uncertainty, Mm -hmm. you know, especially in the trucking industry, for example, where you, you would think you would know 
both sides would know going into it if they're really engaging in an independent contractor relationship. Uh, but as a result of this ambiguity, sometimes you, know, you, you don't know. And employers can be you know, facing a misclassification lawsuit uh, you know, because you, know, you have a, 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 you know, someone claiming that they're really an, uh, an, uh, an employee versus an independent contractor. The big issue, Jim, is if they're an employee, then they're entitled to overtime, they're entitled to benefits, they're entitled to insurance. If they're an independent contractor, of course they're not. So a lot is at stake. Um, right now, the secretary has asked for comments. They've indicated that there's a 30-day comment period that will expire at the end of October 26th of this year. Right now, the National Employment Law Project, which is a pro-employee group, has asked the secretary to extend the comment period to 60 days. We don't know if that will be accepted or not. Uh, you know, we could be looking at a, a new streamlined rule that would go into effect next year, uh, you know, provided the administration doesn't change. So overall, I think this is a, a rule that employers want. They want some, some certainty. Jim, uh, when you consider what is happening in California uh, with their, uh, you know, test that has really upended the whole gig economy up there, mm. uh, you know, certainty is a good thing. Now, granted, this rule would not affect what's happening in California. Uh, you know, th that this only affects the Fair Labor Standards Act, but I think certainty is good um, for, for both employees and uh, independent contractors and for uh, companies. Yeah, I mean, my understanding is, and it is limited, <laughs> that this will make it easier uh, for employers to classify workers as independent contractors. And I believe that that will probably lead to some opposition. Are you aware of, I mean, you mentioned that one organization, are you aware of anyone that's already sort of preparing to fight this? Or does it seem like something that most people want? Well, certainly, businesses want the certainty and they want, you know, to be able to, to not, not call everyone an independent contractor willy nilly, but at least to have a, a predictable test that determines whether someone's an independent contractor or not. Yes, this rule will, in most cases, result in more independent contractors being, you know, found. But you know, they're still going to have to to prove that the 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 in, independent contractor has control over the work. If if the putative employer has control over the work, you know that that would be that would go toward uh, employee uh, uh, an employee finding, and then there has to be an opportunity for profit and loss. So, you know it. Battle lines are, are certainly going to be drawn to answer your question. Pro-employee groups like labor unions are going to come out against this uh, proposed rule. And you mentioned it earlier, there's going to be litigation. Um, 
you know, as well, because these proposed rules can, or the rulemaking can be challenged. Right now, I think it's important for stakeholders to chime in if they have issues that uh, need to be considered. I know a, a case that I handled that went on for a long time was the whole issue of cab drivers in San Antonio, mm-hmm. Texas. And, you know, we, we had an argument that was being made by a, a driver who said he was an employee. In that case, you know, we were able to show, hey, he controlled the, the work. I mean, he determined the, the, the hours he worked, uh, you know, the, his opportunity for profit or loss was based on his initiative. Certainly the, the first two, you know, factors under this new streamlined test went in favor of, of independent contractor. But, um, you know, the thing to remember is those two tests aren't going to be determined, determinative all the time. And then the, the proposed rule would want us to look at three guidepost factors, which are the amount of skill required for the work. And to use my taxi cab example from San Antonio, not a lot of skill necessarily required, uh, you know, contrast that to a welder you know, right. a welder is going to require a lot more skill. Uh, the degree of, of permanence of the working relationship. And here's int- here it's interesting. A, a, a sporadic duration or a definite duration is going to go in favor of independent contractor-ness, but a long uninterrupted uh, tenure would go in favor of an, an employee status. And that makes sense. I mean, it's sort of hard to argue that the person is an independent contractor if they only work for you. They've always worked for you. They've never worked for any other entity. Yeah. And then the last guidepost factor is whether the work is part of an integrated unit of production. And this is actually a, a factor that that really is intended to find employee status because the argument here is if they're part of an assembly line, essentially, that goes toward their employee-ness. Um, and, you know, this is really the, probably the biggest change in the, in the streamlined rule is the old factor didn't talk about integrated unit, unit of production. It talked about integral. And the, the inquiry was whether the work was central or important to the potential employer's business. This rule gets away from judging the importance of, of the work and really focuses on the employer's overall production process and, and you know, whether this potential employee is part of a, a, a coordinated function. Um, but you know, this, this rule will be controversial to be sure because there's a lot at stake and you know, th- there's money at stake. Uh, if, if someone's an, an employee, they're entitled to overtime, they're entitled to benefits. Uh, if they're an independent contractor, they're entitled to whatever they negotiate, but, uh, overtime lawsuits are the most popular federal litigation in America today. The stakes can be really high. And if you have an employer who assumes that his independent contractors are independent contractors, but yet faces a lawsuit saying that they're, they were misclassified, then the, the, the stakes could be 
uh, really big because you know, they could go back potentially three years. It could turn into a collective action. Uh, it could bankrupt a, a, a company to be sure if the, if the lawsuit goes badly or even defending the lawsuit, Jim's, you know, these defending right. the wage and hour misclassification lawsuits, you know, are not, it's not an inexpensive undertaking. Is it, are these cases like some other cases where, you know, if the employer loses then they also have to foot the bill for the, uh, the defense, uh, for the, what do you call them? The, the client on the other side. Yes. And it's funny you say that that's probably the, the biggest driver, uh, uh, regarding, uh, wage and hour misclassification lawsuits is yeah, the loot, the, the loser has to pay the other side's attorney's fees and those fees can be astronomical and, and they don't necessarily have to bear any proportion to the amount in controversy. So oftentimes you have attorney's fees that are bigger than the actual amount in controversy. So attorneys got to get paid and, and that drives a, a lot of these uh, disputes. Uh, you know that Jim. Yeah. Um, there's kind of a, uh, at least in our area, somewhat infamous case. Uh, I can't say what the company is, but there's a, a neighboring organization. Some of their workers work at our organization. And um, it was, I don't know if it was a classification issue, but it was an overtime issue where, you know, they basically weren't paying people overtime, um, but they were keeping meticulous records of everyone's hours, which, you know, if you're going to do something like that, if, you know, so if they were making people work overtime, they weren't paying them the overtime, but they were keeping records of all the overtime that people uh, should have been paid for. So, you know, it was kind of a slam dunk when they finally got sued for it. Uh, and it's just one of those things where some of us kind of chuckle about it because it's like, well, if you were going to do that, which they, they did on purpose, at least that's my friend's understanding of it. Why Why would you keep the records? Well, you know, some industries are going to be more concerned about this proposed rule than others. The, the two big ones are going to be the construction industry, which always faces a lot of, of misclassification dispute. Uh, you know, are, you know, is this person a, an employee carpenter or were they, you know, just hired legitimately to install doors. Uh, and, you know, he's, he's basically a freelancer who works for a, a lot of different contractors and his job is to install doors and hardware. You know, I've had that argument. Uh, you know, I faced that argument. Um, and it's going to depend on the facts. This rule at least proposes to give us the same test that we can all use. And, you know, the results are going to vary depending on the facts, but we do need certainty in this area because uh, employers need certainty and, and employees need certainty and independent contractors need certainty. The other uh, industry that is is going to be affected by this rule is the cleaning and maintenance uh, industry because there you have misclassification issues as well where, you know, is the janitor uh, an employee? In most cases, I would say yes. But what about someone who only comes in to do spot cleaning or floor maintenance uh, that's done maybe once a month? 
and he works for a lot of different buildings, you know, throughout the downtown area. Um, again, you have to apply those facts to this new test and you know, you're going to get some, some different results, but, uh, it, it's going to be fact driven. Um, uh, certainly, you know, an extreme example is, you know, what happened in, in California where you basically had the, the, the courts basically outlaw, you know, Uber drivers and, um, uh, Lyft drivers because yeah, I remember that, you know, under that ABC test, you, you really can't be, uh, an independent contractor in, in California. Uh, it, it's going to be really, really hard, you know, to, you know, to do that. And, you know, we, we did see how, you know, courts have kind of intervened and, and, uh, and there's an injunction in place, but, um, Certainty is is important, uh, and um, we 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 got to get uh, you know, some clarification here. Yeah, and one of the one of the topics that um, one of the consequences for people being classified as independent contractors over employees is that uh, any kind of discrimination laws don't apply anymore. You know, and at the same time that these rules are being proposed. If they're making it easier to identify people as independent contractors and at this, you have, you know, the expansion and bringing to the forefront of the Black Lives Matter movement and race uh, is becoming a very important issue for a lot of employers. Just seems like there's going to be some difficult areas to navigate there. Absolutely. Yeah. I didn't even mention the, the discrimination angle, but you're absolutely right. In addition to the money in terms of benefits and overtime, uh, uh, discrimination laws don't apply to independent contractors. They apply to employees only. So that's a, that's another reason for both sides to have uh, you know, strong opinions about you know, whether someone is a, an employee or not. Do you think that these are likely, these laws are likely to, I know I always ask, I love asking lawyers actually, now that I think about it to predict the future. Um, I think it maybe goes against your nature because you don't want to be on record saying it went one way, right? So <laughs> let's see. How do I ask this so that it doesn't say it that way? What are you, what are your thoughts on the likelihood of them pa- the rules pla- passing as they are right now? Look, I think <laughs> I'm gonna in a typical lawyer uh, fashion <laughs> punt in, only to say, look, uh, under this administration, I think they could they could promulgate this new rule. It is a it is a pro independent contractor ruling or, or test, if you will. But you know, all all bets are off if a new administration comes in because this is has become one of the first things that a new administration does when they take over from an administration from a different party is that they they rush to dismantle the the previous rules that were promulgated you know, regarding independent contractorness or regarding joint employer status. So it, it all comes back to, to the election, right? Because if president Trump wins another term, this will be the law of the land. This new test will be the law of the land for the next four years. If however he loses, you can bat that the, 
the new administration will will roll the, roll this uh, new streamlined test uh, you know out. They'll they'll roll it back rather. So it's going to come down to politics, and um, so I mean that that's my prediction. There will be an election in November, and that election <laughs> will have consequences. You heard it first here with with Jim Davis. <laughs> well, I'm going to make sure to tell everybody. Um, yeah, I'd just like to, leave, you know, one last question really is, I imagine that a lot of employers have been carefully looking at their, their classification, particularly when you have complex situations of sending full-time employees home, uh, or if you have um, salaried workers at home and, and maybe they have a kid at home, they can't work 30 hours a week, 25 hours a week anymore. So I, I'm, my hope is, is that all the HR people out there have been doing really good due diligence, auditing their worker classifications. Um, what would be your advice to them as they consider the these new rules uh, while they're doing, doing that process, that audit? Jim, I think it's important to, to be able to, as you go back and do that audit, if you have two people that are doing identical jobs, it's going to be hard to justify why you designated one as an independent contractor. And I think that is, is one truism that you have to understand, you know, why do you have five employees and these three are called, these other three are called independent contractors when they do the same identical work. Uh, now maybe they don't do the same identical work. Maybe there's differences. Maybe they, you know, they have their own tools. Maybe they have their own training. Maybe they have uh, the opportunity for profit and, you know, and to benefit from their own initiative. But you should ask yourself that. The other truism I would throw out is it's very hard to have a business that has no employees. So, <laughs> you know, if, if you find yourself in that situation, I'm not saying it it's impossible, but I have not seen it in 25 years of, of practicing law. Uh, you need to have some employees. It, it, uh, that's a red flag. Um, so I would, I would throw that out there. Uh, the other truism is don't be lulled by lawyers. And what I mean is sometimes a lawyer may have given you an independent contractor agreement and you think, well, that's, that's golden. I mean, I have it in writing. Remember, a, an agreement is good, but it can't turn a, an otherwise employee into an independent contract, uh, independent contractor. So don't be lulled by that agreement that you have that you think might be bulletproof because ultimately the Department of Labor or a court will examine the economic realities of the situation. And um, they're going to look at whether this person is really uh, an employee or not. So again, th those, those are, are my three uh, truisms regarding misclassification. And uh, I think if you follow those, you'll, you'll, you'll have a good audit. And I, and I definitely think employers should audit and, and do a, uh, an internal audit, because if you've done the internal audit, you're gonna be well prepared if you were to have a real audit by Department of Labor or as a result of, of uh, misclassification lit litigation. Excellent advice. And 
that'll about do it for today. Thank you so much, Jake, for joining us again. Right. Look forward to the next time we can chat, Jim. Yeah, maybe it'll be sometime after October 26th. <laughs> yeah. Um, listeners, please check back next week for the next episode of HR Works COVID-19 Update. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at HR Works Podcast. You can listen to our podcast anywhere where podcasts are. And thank you for listening. This is Jim Davis with HR Works. <laughs>